Should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed, God who hears the surges roll deign to save our suppliant soul. And may God save the soul of anyone who seeks to make a film inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2019's The Lighthouse, written by Robert and Max Eggers and directed by Robert Eggers. Joining us to discuss is the co-host of the Disenfranchised Pod, Stephen Foxworthy. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you to everyone who <laughs> last heard from us for the Halloween 4 commentary, but then before that didn't hear from us until August. So thanks right. to everyone involved. Thanks thanks for having me. I it's been it's been a long time coming and I've been anxiously awaiting with bated breath for low these many months but hey we're doing it guys it's happening yes, we are and so we made you wait such a long time i'm gonna make you wait a little bit longer because we do oh, have okay. to have a shout out because we do have a patreon of course we have been plugging that for it seems like a year now when really it's only been kind of a couple of months but we do um one of those things we promise is anytime we have a subscriber we will give them a shout out so that is what we're doing here at the top of the show shout out to our newest patreon subscriber insmith gold uh, the gentleman Tim Mendes and Rob Poyton over at Innsmouth Gold. If you go to InsmouthGold.com, you can shop anything from Lovecraftian books to music to t-shirts and gifts. And you can also get connected to their podcast, the Innsmouth Book Club, by going to Patreon.com slash InsmouthBC, our new subscriber coming all the way from the UK across the, spa, uh, across the pond. We got an email notification that someone uh, subscribed with pounds. I was like, ooh, look at that. We have international appeal. Hey, so that's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, so thank you to uh, the, the gentleman over at Innsmouth Gold, Innsmouth Book Club. Thank you for um, contributing to our, let's just say it, our madness over here. Um, <laughs> we appreciate it um, as you uh, financially incentivize us to slowly descend into insanity. So thank you to you. And uh, sure enough, you know, all of you, if you do want to subscribe to our Patreon, that's easy enough to go to patreon.com slash where you can get such benefits as, you know, um, additional episodes and interviews that people that you regular uh, plebes don't necessarily get any access to, such as our interview with friend of the show, BJ Vero, um and his uh, feature length uh, um, debut, The Return, or our interview with Al White, writer, director of Starfish, which was a hell of a good time. Um, and if you're not listening to it, then why? That's that's a good time. Um, but yeah, requests um, and also commentary tracks. If you listen to our Halloween 4 commentary track and enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed doing it, that's available for you as well for just a low cost of $10 a month. You can request we do a commentary track for any movie that we've either already covered or that you wish us to cover. So some tantalizing bits there. So, But we have delayed Stephen for far <laughs> too long. So now you have our full attention, sir. Um, oh, dear. If, if, I don't think I can handle your full attention. Dazzle us. Um, if, if no one is familiar with Steven and the Disenfranchised Pod, sir, why don't, you, uh, why don't you talk about what you and Brett are doing over there? Yeah, so uh, the Disenfranchised Podcast, it's me and my buddy Brett Wright, uh, and we talk about movies that um, were intended uh, either by, by design or by sheer hope uh, to start some kind of franchise or other, uh, but failed ultimately failed to do so, which is kind of the Hollywood story these past for the past decade or so. Uh, but it goes back even further. People have been trying to kick off franchises since the '60s, right? So we've got uh, we've talked about a ton of movies, things as varied and diverse as 
oh uh the both italian job movies the original and the the remake we've mm-hmm. talked about um oh i'm trying we just did a james bond episode not too long ago on her majesty's secret service because of george lazenby was the only bond who ever did just one movie <laughs> um we've we just got done with our spooky thon and so we had uh, uh, female and non-binary creator horror creators come on and talk about some of their favorite horror movies. We talked about The Frighteners with Enola Lugosi. We talked about uh, Behind the Mask with Jessica Scott, who I know has been on your guys' show before. Love her over here, sir. Yeah, yeah she's definitely. great. Absolutely. Um, and then we, uh, what else? We talked about uh, Brightburn with Lindsay Travis, Dog Soldiers with Kat Scully. Nice. Like we've just had some really great discussions. We did our our three hour long Dune episode that came out with our friend Hope Lickner, <laughs> which is kind of its own descent into madness. And then of course, to prep for this episode, not only did we watch the film in question, the lighthouse, but we also yesterday recorded an episode. It's going to be our Thanksgiving episode um, on a movie called food fight. Oh, food fight. Oof. <laughs> and that is, uh, that is, that is a bad film. It's maybe the worst movie we've ever covered on the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, it is absolutely the worst movie we've ever covered on the podcast. <laughs> Um, to the extent that we're not even entirely sure it was a movie. And we actually mentioned a couple of times that it's mm-hmm. on that episode, that it's really good uh, to get in the right headspace for coming on the cast of Cthulhu. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so no. And, and, and uh, if I'm, if I recall correctly, you did a, an episode on Watchmen as well, right? Yeah. That was our latest, as of the time yeah. of this recording, that's been our latest episode. Um, and that one's, that one's a couple hours in its own right. And then mm-hmm. we talk about all about, the different ways that DC tried to capitalize on Watchmen, tried to get prequels and sequels going, yeah. uh, Moore's original idea for a sequel, how DC can constantly dicked more over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our good friend Garrick Hardy from the Fly Casual podcast came and joined us on that one. So we've we've had we've been blessed over the past month and a half to have some really great guests talking about some really great movies. Um, the next episode to come out is our Ghostbusters episode. Uh, mm-hmm. which is just the two of us because uh, Brett's a big Ghostbusters fan. He had a lot to say about that movie. Um, we're, of course, the 2016 Ghostbusters is the mm-hmm. one we're, we're referring to, the one that didn't get a sequel Oh yes, uh, in advance of Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, um, Real brief aside here, how are we feeling about Ghostbusters Afterlife? I am not optimistic. I'm not either. Yeah, uh, no. It's 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 specifically pitched to someone like my co-host, like Brett Wright, who is Mm -hmm. who grew up a Ghostbusters fan who loves the Ghostbusters as a property Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately has had to watch his beloved fandom kind of descend into awfulness um, over the past, um, oh, probably five or six years um, and uh, has has a lot of very strong opinions on it. If you want to hear them, listen to our Ghostbusters episode. He'll he'll tell you all about it. Um, but like, you know, just people who make bad faith arguments based on stupid things, but the, the idea that these are the people that were quote, giving the franchise back to just doesn't sit well with me mm. No, but it's playing on nostalgia and Brett's like, I know it's going to work for me and I'm just going to surrender myself to it and just try to enjoy it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is probably the right way to look at it. Me, I don't have any sort of nostalgia for Ghostbusters, so I'll see it and I'll probably enjoy it significantly less than him, but we are planning on going to see it opening night. So, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Cause I, I, I saw a tweet the other day that was quoting Jason Reitman as saying, uh, you know, I just felt mm-hmm. like I had to get back to my roots. And then it also yeah. listed how his Every last film, right? four movies like <laughs> flopped at the box. I was yeah. like, yeah, you're getting back to your roots. Yeah. Right? Daddy, you're getting daddy. Profitable. Yeah. Your daddy. Can you help me please? Please. Mm-hmm. I need a hit again. 
Yeah, because I, I mean, I, you know, I in general, I guess I could say I like Jason. I've I liked Thank You for Smoking a lot. I liked yeah. Up in the Air a lot. Um, I uh, young adult. Um, I'm not the biggest Juno fan in the world, but it's it's like at, at what point do we get to it that it's get to the question of like, is he really that good of a director? Or does he have mm-hmm. to work with really good material? Which right, you know, he has a hand in a lot of that stuff. I know, but it yeah, it's uh it's weird because I I've like you said with the nostalgia thing, the on, the biggest part of the trail that i enjoy is when this the phone rings and raises a cold books and he picks it up and he's like we're closed but yes um yeah i, I don't know i'm 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 not uh not really optimistic about it and it looks like i mean part of and as as new yorkers you guys can probably appreciate mm-hmm. this but the thing about ghostbusters and i was i was talking to brett about this when the trailer first dropped like two years ago um ghostbusters is a new york movie like yeah. it is a quintessentially yeah. new york film um, and the second one is to a degree as well. Like it, New York mm-hmm. is central to what the Ghostbusters are to the extent that even the, the reboot, the 2016 film yeah. kept it in New York, uh, kept a lot of the landmarks in place as well. Like mm-hmm. you see the firehouse there. Um, but then this movie set in Indiana or like yeah. somewhere in the mid Kansas, maybe somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently it fits into the lore. This is what Brett has told me. And if, if he were here, he could probably tell you more about it. Um, but it, 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 apparently it fits into the lore and the Shandor mining company and all of that. Okay. Um, like hmm. it's all a part of it, but it, again, New York, Ghostbusters, New York. Like, yeah. I don't want to see Ghostbusters meet stranger things, but again, that's me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, it, it is frustrating when it like, I mean, cause this was, I remember when the, the last Jedi came out and you could really see the divide between people who were like, yeah, I wanted to see something new. And people were like, I wanted to see the same thing over and right. over again. And right. when it does get ultimately handed back to let's even remove the toxic people from the equation. But when it does get handed back to people of like, oh, you just want to see more of the same. Here it is. Yeah. And um, here you go, I, nerds. Eat your slop. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I listened to an interview recently for Edgar Wright when he was on the podcast, The Business, because about last night in Soho, which I didn't think was great by any stretch of the imagination, but also just this idea of how he is confused why studios don't give more money to people to make original movies because original movies like, yes, you, you want to give money to a franchise, but original movies can become franchises. Star Wars was an original idea. You know, alien was an original idea. Terminator was an original idea. They became franchises. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they also start out as like, Hey, I've got this idea for a thing. And, and and why not? But that's a risk. Sure. Right. They don't like risks anymore, especially nowadays. They really don't like risks. Yeah, if you're gonna put that much money down on something, you want it to be a sure thing. And what's yeah. what's proven? Franchises. Yeah. Right. Long running franchises. But yeah, speaking of risks, um, two men living alone uh, on a, on a small <laughs> island in a lighthouse. <laughs> Oof, yeah. <laughs> See, this no is riskier why, endeavor. Yeah, this is why they they pay us the big bucks because of <laughs> of segues such as that. Those, um, that is beautiful segues. Segue. And if you if you are a Patreon subscriber and listen to our Al White interview, he does poke fun at me because of my segues. So yes, if you want he to does. Go, <laughs> he does. <laughs> um, which I, is a, I just I love just you know you make a perfect segue and then you've got to like draw a circle around it and put a button. On. That's my favorite thing about segues <laughs> is you. I mean, the segue you're like because you. When you make a good segue, you have to stop and admire the segue, like of a course. parking oh, job. Yeah, like 100%. when you park really well, you got to get out, you got to walk around your car and kind of put your hands <laughs> on your hips. I'm like, man, that was a good parking job. It's the same with a segue. You make a good segue, you got to stop and admire the segue. Yeah, you guys see this segue? You guys see how good this was? <laughs> I can change from topic to topic like that. 
Yep. Um, and you know, who knows? Maybe for the ten dollar tier, I'll I'll make an episode which is just my segues. Oh, <laughs> the, the Jim Rohner segue super cut. <laughs> yes, super yes. Cut. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, the the lighthouse. Um, I, I want to give a little bit of background on it first before we kind of get into it. But it was, of course, the the directorial follow up of Robert Eggers to The Witch. Um, and so to kind of hear that he was doing something horror again was sort of like had a lot of people intrigued and like, oh, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe. OK. And like, wait, a, right. a lighthouse and something in the sea. OK, I'm on board mm-hmm. here. <laughs> um, yeah, it came out uh, in October 18th, 2019, grossed 18 million dollars worldwide, which I have to imagine probably was a, 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 a budgetary gain because I can't imagine this was too expensive of a film to make. I uh, got one Oscar nomination for uh, Best Cinematography from Jaron Blasky, which rightfully so we can certainly yeah, talk about that in a little bit um it certainly made uh my top 10 of 2019 and uh going back and holy shit what a year right? for movies 2019 was i mean <laughs> right right remembering I mean, i'm like all right parasite was parasite amazing. uncut gems yeah. uh little women uh um, yeah. last black last man, man in san francisco yeah. like that was a that was a hell of a good year for movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood, like it yeah, was a, it, oh, it was great, yeah. crazy yep. year. It was a mm-hmm. crazy. It was what. And again, it's one of those times when 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 you know the people out there go, oh, oh, there's no good movies anymore. Yeah. Every year, there, there's lots of gems. Come on. Yeah. Like the farewell was that year as well. Like, yes. Farewell right. was yeah. Jeez, it's just it was it was it was such a good year. It made it it made it on on my top ten list for number six. Um, Robert Eggers has described the movie by saying nothing good can happen when two men are trapped alone in a giant phallus. Uh, are, are that depends on your Zardoz? perspective. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> are, are, and, and is this Zardoz again? Like, what, 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 a lot of um, penis, you know? <laughs> but yeah, uh, certainly like this, this was a movie because, and just to think that this and Uncut Gems came out the same year, both <laughs> movies had gave me such a visceral physical reaction in the theater where in the sense of like, I either need to leave right away or I need to screen the burst into flames to just release me from this tension. It's, it's such a tense, oftentimes physically uncomfortable movie to watch. Yeah. I, you know what? It's funny you say that because like I took a while to see this. Actually, I finally decided to watch it when we were going to cover it for the podcast. And I, while I agree, it's, it's this tense ride. I think it's like one of the funniest dark comedies I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like Not it, incorrect. It, it, yes, it, that's like, very I, true. Like there's certain scenes of this film, and like watching it again with with Corinne, we were watching it, and she, you know, it's hard. Like I always joke with her, it's hard to get it to watch like certain films I like or like weird the weirder the weirder. Not even not that it's intellectual, but like the cerebral films because she's just like she'll she'll shut up like she'll she'll admit, oh, this film's not for me. I'm gonna, and she'll leave. She'll be like. Okay, it's not for me. Bye. Mm-hmm. This film held her attention, and she was laughing her ass off. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a crazy person for thinking it's a like, especially the scene when he just kills the one-eyed seagull, and he's just, <laughs> and it's just this visceral, like, release of anger and tension, and like, like it's this insane scene. You're like, he's lost it, and it's like, and I, I, I look at her. She's like, yeah, he's lost it, right? I'm like. This is like the beginning of him losing it. You're right. gonna see. <laughs> he has not it, yet it, begun to lose yeah, it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it goes places. And, and again, throughout this film, she kept going. Is this the same film we started watching? Because it goes into places where, oh, now this is happening, and now this is happening, and like, it's it's such a weirdly, like, put together film because it messes with time. It messes with your idea of the, 
reliable narrator or unreliable narrator because there's only two guys to choose from mm-hmm. right and you don't know who's telling the truth if any of them are telling the truth i mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling none of them are but that's that's my read I, I that and i think that's my i don't know about you jim that's my read too like where no I, I i think both of them are full of shit they're both liars and they're it's like this game of lying who's the better liar throughout mm-hmm. no it, it's yeah it's interesting because i i I don't know. Yeah, I guess I never considered that as, as who is telling the truth and who is not, because it seemed like the way that I read it was it was pretty clear that we knew we knew Robert Pattinson's character. Um, is it is it Wake is his character's name? No, no, he's Ephraim. Ephraim. Well, his oh, yeah, fake yeah. name is Ephraim. Thomas Winslow. Howard. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and then yeah, uh, Thomas. Yeah, Winslow. Yeah. Winslow. <laughs> like cause it, it seemed like it it was pretty clear. Um, especially when he was drunk, like what his, not even his yes. motivations, but, but really why he was here, what he was doing mm-hmm. and the uncertainty around Willem Dafoe's character was one of the things that drove, well, that drove him insane. It was a sort of thing. Like he was, he was looking for something. He was looking for some type of certainty that this guy was not giving him both in who his character is. What are you doing at the top of the lighthouse? Why can't I do it? And that's what ultimately right. kind mm-hmm. of not ultimately, but that's one of the things that contributed to it. But, um, before we, we kind of get too deep into it, I did just want to um, talk to, to Stephen a little bit. James, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what I meant. Um, but just because um, okay. uh, this Good was to meet you, James. Th- yeah, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> because this is this is, you know, a, a film or, or a podcast about Lovecraftian adaptations. And so I guess for you, a two part question. What does yeah. Lovecraftian mean to you and why? Why, when you had the option, you're like, I want to talk about the lighthouse. Uh, well, typically when I think of Lovecraft, I think lots and lots of tentacles. Um, no, I, you're the reason we hate people. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Tentacles are only part of it. Um, no, I, I think my introduction to Lovecraft really interestingly came through comics. Hmm. Um, in college, I was reading a lot of, of Alan Moore and a lot of, um, Warren Ellis, um, Mm -hmm. who is an acknowledged piece of shit now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Can I swear? Is that okay? Oh, of course. Okay, Shut your fucking fuck, mouth, fuck yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, Warren Ellis, piece of shit. Um, but I was really into both Planetary and The Authority. Um, and so it was, uh, there was a comic called Planetary Authority Ruling the World, which was the one and only team up that Warren Ellis ever wrote with them, mm-hmm. um, which is inspired by the work of Lovecraft. And Lovecraft himself actually shows up in the book. <laughs> and at one point, the, the eggs that the eldritch horrors are hatching out of are um lovecraft says he thinks that they're um something insanely racist um and i'm like okay but they never mention him by name and so i'm like who is this really weird racist guy who lives with his aunts in in rhode island um and then later on i was reading league of extraordinary gentlemen and was reading the um the uh supplemental material at the end of the book and they mention of course randolph carter several times and i'm like well who's this guy so i kind of tiptoed sideways into lovecraft Mm. um so i so i'm i'm very thinly read on lovecraft i've read more about lovecraft than i've actually read of lovecraft um i think the one thing i i've read in in totality is the the statement of randolph carter Mm, okay. And that was because I was actually in an amateur film version uh, adaptation of Ooh. that, okay. uh, playing the Harley Warren role mm-hmm. in that film. So a buddy of mine, uh, amateur filmmaker Samuel Dumas, uh, put together a film 
short film called Susan Lands the Interview. If you look on YouTube, you can probably find it. Mm. Um, but I play a character named uh, Ben Cartman, who is the uh, the Harley Warren analog. It, it's not a one for one adaptation. Uh, he takes some liberty, but you know, Lovecraft's public domain, so you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, I guess, my official introduction to Lovecraft then. Um, and since then, I've kind of dug in and read some more stuff. I read, recently finished Alan Moore's Providence, which is oh, a really good book. Sitting on my um, shelf. It's good. Uh, the was the, the the BBC Lovecraft podcast, the Lovecraft Chronicles, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, really loved that. Thought that was really well done. Um, but I guess if if I'm thinking about the question, what is Lovecraftian? It's this idea that the scope of the true reality of things is such is is enough to break a human being. Um, there are things in this world that are unknowable, that are unfathomable, that are so distant and above just the extent of our human knowledge that the mere sight of them, the mere mention of them will will drive a man or or woman will drive an individual completely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think of Lovecraft, I think of that that very Nietzschean idea of staring into the abyss and the abyss staring into you and the idea that the abyss will drive you insane mm-hmm. um, is, is kind of, for me, a very Lovecraftian idea. Um, now, as to what made me choose The Lighthouse, it's a freaking great movie, is what made me choose The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched it for my uh, my Halloween marathon last year in, in the pandemic, and I just kind of... I actually watched The Witch as well. I had never seen The Witch before. So I watched both. Um, and I just kind of like, a- after both of those movies, it just kind of sat there with like this kind of pit emptying in the bottom of my stomach going, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, there's, this is, is, first of all, this is insanely good, but also this is insane. <laughs> um, like one of my favorite bits of trivia in this movie is that Eggers thought the script, the original script was too clear. <laughs> so he made it more confusing so that the audience in fact feels like they are descending into a Lovecraftian pit of madness, mm-hmm. which I'm like, how often can you make a, a Lovecraft inspired film that actually feels like you're in a Lovecraft inspired story? Like it, it's kind of an interesting and amazing feat. And I think Eggers really pulls it off, but no, I saw this movie. I love this movie. I love the performances, cinematography, everything about it. So I was like given half. And, and honestly, I was looking through and like, looking up your back catalog going, what could I possibly talk about with the cast of Cthulhu guys? And I was like, they haven't talked about the lighthouse yet score. Let's talk about the lighthouse. And I'm never going to get the opportunity to talk about it on my show. So yeah, let's do this was this was actually something that I had put on the list of available titles right. a while back, um, and I was actually kind of surprised that James had never seen it. I thought this would have been right up his alley, especially considering he does not like happy endings. Oh no. yeah, well no, that's a thing. It's like, and it's not even for any reason of me because I love both Defoe and Pattinson. Um, I love I love The Witch, mm-hmm. so it was like I don't know why I just, it was one of those films I put off for like way too long, and then like having the excuse, I'm like, I've seen it so many times now, like. One, I'm going insane like them. But two, I am sure that wasn't love- just the delay in recording. That too. That's it. Was, <laughs> was, 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 was it five weeks, two days? Are you are you guys a figment of my imagination? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, sure you're a figment of mine, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. But you know, but it's it, it's a film that like like I just fell in love with. And I'm like, wow, this is like and it's not that I even assumed what it would be. I did not even know what it was, except for okay these two guys probably go insane in this lighthouse, but it's so much more than just the insanity. It's like just watching like these, you know, one, you could say like, like an elder statesman actor, 
you know, Defoe has been around for years and he's always, always top notch, no matter what he does. And Pattinson's the new, the new kid on the block that's been killing it. But every, you know, every performance since, you know, his twilight days, which I, I still hate people still look at him. Oh, the twilight kid. No. Okay. Have you watched anything he's done since? That's just it. They have like, mm-hmm. no, they haven't. They just assume. And you're like, you haven't seen good time. Huh? Watch Good Time. It's you'll... on Netflix. You have no excuse. Right. I still, I still it, haven't seen Good Time. I'm ashamed. Actually, I haven't either, but it's on my no. Netflix queue. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's there. You, it, like, living in Queens now, myself here in New York City, it is probably the most realistic Queens film ever. Like, we talk mm-hmm. about New York film. This is, it, it's such a grimy Queens-based film. And that's what I kind of love when some, some, you know, directors can, like, make a film that's, like, feels like, and this film, The Lighthouse, you feel like you're living on this island with them. You, you feel like you you could smell just like the dampness, the the mold, the, the brine, the brine, the jism, yeah. the jism, as they say, the piss, all the all the, the shit. You know, just it smells like the worst thing ever. The damn like, farts. Yeah, and you ma- yeah, the, the goddamn farts. Um, and any film that's like to me, honest, what I love about this film too, it's like why it's so funny while it's also horrific. The film, like you have them get on the island, they get into the house, and you actually forget. You didn't even realize that the foe is in the first layer when they're in, when when Pattinson's walking around until you just hear him fart after pissing, and like, oh, this is this is the kind of film like, like this is like you know Edgar's tongue firmly in cheek going like, I'm gonna push you to the limit of laughing, and also probably maybe crying or like like horrified by the end of this film, and it's true. It's like. This roller coaster ride of emotions that not only the two the two individuals are going through, we're going through it with them. Where you're like, I don't know how long I would be able to last, like in a situation like that. I, right. I, I do not know. Like, like you know, they always say if you put like two male like animals of any kind by themselves, like like two like male leopards, one is gonna have their throat ripped out by yeah. by like the end of like the week, like because mm-hmm. it's just not. It's just not nature's course to have that. And this is the same thing. Like they just have like this weird tension and like there's a sexual tension going on. There's a, yep. a father's son almost tension going on. There's the authority figure and the, the you know, it's like so many figures, like there's so much stuff to talk about this film. Like that. I'm just like, my mind is blown where I'm just like, oh, wow. And in certain scenes in the day, like, did they have sex? Like, did something happen between them? Like, and what dynamic does it change? You know, and, and like, is one actually Triton himself? Like, you know, it's like, who is he Prometheus now? Like, it's like, because not only you have like the whole idea of the Lovecraftian thing, but you also have like, you know, they, they, they do talk about Catholicism and Christianity like throughout, <laughs> but also Greek mythology and, and all this stuff is all t- somehow ties together and it actually works which I'm, I'm even more impressed with that. You can actually have all these different types of lore ideas, these, these fables, these tales, the tall tales intertwined. And like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like they can all exist together. You mm-hmm. know, I, that actually does make sense to me. So just impressed. Yeah, like I'm actually almost pissed that like I didn't watch sooner, but now, now I'm just sharing the love with everyone. Like, you know, and, and consider my girlfriend like really liked the film too. Like, you know that actually really made me happy. I was like, "Oh, okay. you'll be you'll be coming back to this one then." Oh, so many times, so many yeah. times. And I I mentioned how 
this movie made me so physically uncomfortable. <laughs> and the the in terms of at least a horror film, the only other equivalency or, or film which is sort of a, an equivalent experience was I think anytime I watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. in mm-hmm. which everyone it just it looks like everyone is sweaty. Everyone yeah. is uncomfortable. Like I want to, I want to watch that movie like blaring the air conditioning and just kind of like with all the lights on and just like with fresh food in front of me. And I think there's something subconsciously planted because mm-hmm. that original film, like this one, was allegedly a miserable experience to go through. Yep. And it, it almost feels like there's something like imprinted on the film itself that kind of translates over from that because mm-hmm. by all accounts, this movie was a miserable production experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the. The lighthouse and, and house itself were not real. They constructed it for the film itself. Um, but, you know, freezing temperatures, cold Atlantic water, intense winds, snow, rain, and no uh, protective flora of, of the terrain to keep them protected from the elements throughout the <laughs> shoot. Um, before this film came out, one thing I kept hearing was like tales of Robert Eggers just continuously blasting Robert Pattinson in the face for different takes and just like over and over and over again. Um, and intentionally to kind of like test him and to get him into this insane character um three nor'easters blew across the cape during various stages of productions right um (laughs) yeah and and it was um it was shot on double x stock black and white film which required 15 to 20 times more light than a standard film stock so you have this claustrophobic set to begin with with all of this hot, intense light being pumped in, which is you're sitting there and you're like, if anyone's ever been on a film set before, specifically yeah. under film lighting, it gets really hot and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then if you are there and you're getting cranky and the director's like, cut, do it again, just keep going. Like that that starts to affect someone. And just even the fact that, I, I mean, this was uh, this was filmed like, the ratio is like 1.19 to one. So it's like not quite a perfect square, but it's pretty close. And it just mm. visually and physically and emotionally, it just, it feels so claustrophobic and like they yeah. can't escape. You can't escape either. And it's just like, get, get me the hell out of here, please. Right. They have no room in the, in the actual film box itself, let alone in the world they live in. It's like, and even then, like, I, I kind of love that ballsy move by Eggers to like, like that's not that's not typical. One one black and white is yeah. is always a no go. Bold like, choice, yeah. I mean, bold choice. I mean, we you know you hear about filmmakers that wanted to like put their films out in black and white, like such as you know, um, the you mist. Have, like the mist, yeah. Like yeah. Darabont wanted to do that in black and white, and it it works wonders in black and white. But the film had to become a hit. And to come out on a special edition Blu-ray DVD yep. to have that option to put it out there. So like right. for, for Eggers to have that stock to be like, oh, you know what? My first film, low budget horror film that did really well in like multiple ways. I'm going to shoot this one in black and white. And like it works. Like I can't picture this film in color like at all. Mm-hmm. It would not work at all. Like it wouldn't feel as like grimy and like 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 you said jim claustrophobic like that's what it feels you feel like you're just like in this tomb with them Mm -hmm. and they can't get out of this tomb i think another thing that really plays into that setting that mindset is the pacing of this movie Mm -hmm. because it's not it's very slow paced like Mm -hmm. you're you're kind of in it with them and you're in it for a while before things start to go 
bananas right <laughs> like before he kills the seagull and everything goes to shit <laughs> mm-hmm. like you're you're kind of in it with them for a long time and so you're you're getting a sense for their relationship you're getting a sense for the reality of the situation for their state of mind for i mean for all these things that are kind of compounding and building on each other and you sense the frustration and the tension and all of these things that sort of start to build and in order for that to work on you you've got to sit in it with them and just kind of slowly take it all in as it slowly begins to stack on itself and build on itself until it comes to this uproarious crescendo in the final moments of just sex and violence and terror and madness and all of these things that just kind of explode out of the screen in those final moments that just it's not effective if you don't have that pacing leading up to that, the, to those moments. And I had actually forgotten when I was rewatching this, that about at the midway point, like they, they're scheduled to like leave the island, like, Oh, we're going to get picked up and we're going to get off this. And like, I'd forgotten about that. And like, what really starts the descent is the weather and the boat doesn't show up. So they're not getting rescued. They're not getting, you know, um, swapped out and their resources are running low. And that's really when stuff really starts to decline. And I had forgotten about that. Like, I thought it was just kind of a slow descent. And it's like, no, you know, for the first half, it's kind of like, wow, this shit sucks, but it's going to be over with at some point. And then in the the recognition of like, we have no idea when this is going to be over. That's when it's like, oh, no. Um, Yeah. But yeah, and and I think it was, James, as you said, I can't imagine Mm -hmm. this film being shot in color, especially... Um, Steven, I love what you said about kind of staring in the, into the abyss and then having the abyss stare back because there's those sequences when it's visions, dreams, is it mm-hmm. really happening? But when, when a Pattinson goes out into the water, kind of like chasing that mermaid and it's like mm-hmm. the water is dark at night, but like you can't see anything out in the distance at all. You have no idea what's out there. And it right. becomes that subtle, that's that subtext of that subtle question of, is it more dangerous to go out than it is to, to then to remain um, is such mm-hmm. like, it's such a scary concept. I mean, it's as someone who, you know, was raised in a, in a, in a faith background and still considers himself to, to be a person of faith to a certain degree. It, it's when a Lovecraftian story really hits, it's, it's antithetical to the question of faith when it's like, I don't have proof of something, but I'm going to believe in it. Whereas That's this right. is like, you believe in something and it is objectively proven to be incorrect and wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's right. horrifying to think of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those visions in the beginning, especially and throughout, like it's all, you know, the logs. We see the logs moving across in a body and you're like, who's that? And then mm-hmm. the mermaid mm-hmm. underwater. And then like we see her again later, which, which to me is one of the, like, again, it, 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 it made me laugh because I'm like, why is this doing like parts of Dagon better than Dagon did? you know what i mean like oh because dagon was bad that's why. like i remember I'll, no and, and no and remember i actually like dagon more you than, did yeah than you but i'm like even i'm like wow this is like doing this really well and it's so subtle it's you know not that the, the mermaid's subtle but you know it's like is it a vision is it just in his head because we hear about the former wiki that was with him before went mad talked about merfolk talked about the seagulls you know angering him and like all this stuff and went mad and died or did thomas wake kill him did like it's all these like like what actually happened on this island what what is going on on this island throughout you know especially when like 
they first go and, and Pattinson like lays on the bed, which is, seems like the worst bed in existence. <laughs> and he goes into that hole in the bed and finds the little trinket, little statue of a mermaid, which he then uses to, you know, vigorously masturbate throughout the film. Yeah. With, Many times know, throughout the film. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, okay, this is, uh, you know, like this is kind of awkward, but you know, lonely men on an island, I guess, you know, it makes sense. The, the only vision of a girl and in his head, he's seen this mermaid mm-hmm. and her, you know, her, as my girlfriend said, oh, there's a fish vagina in this. I'm like, yeah, this, mm-hmm. this film has everything. This film yeah, really does have everything. Literally everything. Every, yeah, yeah, everything you want. And the kitchen sink too, you know, it's like such a crazy film. And like, you know, so is he going mad or is is he having his sex, this sexual relationship with this mermaid? And then when you have the weird stuff that's going on in the lighthouse itself and Thomas Wake, you know, the foes up there and some weird slimy stuff's coming down. And you see, quote unquote, you see tentacles. Is it something he's having sex with or as we see later on, is it actually himself? Mm-hmm. And like, like I said, it's again, it's such a it's such a it's such a breath of fresh air for a film like this to exist especially in like 2019 and on like where we were talking earlier franchises this film you know no this is a one and done there's no Mm -hmm. way even if this film made 150 million dollars someone would try to think of how do we make this into a franchise you don't you can't you don't you don't you know it's like oh no you don't but I just start to think of like the ways they would make it a franchise, like, oh, you know, this lighthouse is evil. You know, they they think of stupid ways to make like this evil or something. It's like, no, it's it's not anything about good or evil. It's 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 really man's ability to exist in and you know in, in such harsh conditions. You don't even have to look at it like the the you know the crazy you know mythical shit that's in this film you don't you, like like even if that's all not real it's it's just like two guys going crazy like would, if you look at it as that simple it works either way you know well, well the the temptation uh i think would be to explain what happened yes. to both of these characters before that got them here so who what what well, yeah. led robert pattinson to murder that guy and right. Willem Dafoe's like yeah ve- like adventures on the sea which the, the ambiguity of what got them here and are, are they, are they sane or are they mad is kind of what one of the things that makes it interesting. I mean, this, I go mm-hmm. back and forth as to did Willem Dafoe's character really have more of a grasp on his sanity or had he gone insane long ago, but he has just adapted right. to it in a certain way. Yeah. Cause he's, he's been there before. Right. <laughs> Multiple times. And you're like, so they switch off every four weeks but because they even know you cannot stay out there longer than four weeks or you're going to go crazy mm-hmm. that that that's like you know that right away and like you know even like what like i said watching some films like this with my girlfriend's great because she'll be like so like why like why are they put why, why are they put together why don't they know each other's names throughout and it's like yeah it's kind of weird like but but i guess you know maybe it's one of the things if you're your superiors, you know, you're superior. You don't, you don't, you just call them, you just say, I, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. That's all you're saying. It's like in the army, you don't say general, I, sir, you know, like, okay, sir, you know, attend. So 
but it's already kind of weird. Like you don't know each other's names until like two weeks into it. Right. And it's only, and only, you know, one of their names two weeks into it. Then it's like the last day or whatever it is that this was supposed, supposed to be the last night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, that's okay. So that's four weeks. That's two weeks after that. Then you finally have both names and you're mm-hmm. like, already, that's already a little bizarre. And then just everything going on, you know, the little things that like, cause you know, cause throughout, you know, Thomas Wake, the foe's character, like kind of a dick, but he's the superior. So he's, it's going to be in my logbook. I'm going to, you know, do this. You got to do the work. You better scrub this. You better not, not lie to me. And like, okay. But then like when he drinks and like, he's a little more fun loving and like they're having fun with each other, except for like little, little things that are said. And then mm-hmm. he snaps like the whole thing about the seagulls. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, he like smacks the shit out of him. And you're like, well, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> and even like, like the look on, on Pattinson's face, like what the hell? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm drunk. Make some coffee. You're like, okay, that's already like a little tense. And then the to me, the one of the greatest scenes is when all he wants is um, Ephraim to uh, admit that he likes his cooking. And then he curses him. The most <laughs> amazingly beautiful and horrific curse so ever. Good. So that's good. So, so good. I love it so much. That you remember it. Like, yeah. it's one of those, like, you're like, wow, this is so, like, poetic. And like you remember every word, and then, oh, it's prophetic. You know, like okay, you, your curse really meant something there, right? I see now, and like, but it's so good to the point. Where, and again, this is why this film works as a comedy. At the end, it's like okay, fine. I like your cooking. Have and it your way. Ends. I like your cooking. Yeah. Cut. And Hard cut. cut. Next, like, next scene, and you're like, perfect. wow, because you're because the while the curse is going on, you're like, oh my god, this guy's fucking crazy, like. He's really angry about this. And then just like funny line. It's like almost like you could put in a sitcom laugh track in there. You can, and, and you can see the look on his face when he said, you right. liked me lobster. You liked me lobster. Yeah, you liked me hey, lobster. Hey, hey. <laughs> There's this like desperation on his yes. face, like grasping it like any, like that is for some reason the hill he wants to die on in this moment. Right. But he's like so desperate and like just pleading like like it's like this one kind word about his lobster is going to like save the relationship or something yeah and, which is already gone it's the relationship's oh, yeah. already destroyed but to- it was so destroyed from day one yeah. yeah but but yet yeah the lobster like oh my god you you really like my lobster like well and okay it's it's not just that the relationship is already gone but i, I believe that sequence also comes when like the weather is so bad that there's nothing else to actually do other than just right. kind of sit there so that becomes like the most right. important thing to focus right. on because there's nothing else there's no other tasks to yeah. focus on other than just that and it, it it also goes to show how just you know there there was a relationship <laughs> that developed because when you get to know someone so well you know what to say to, to like really jab at them and make them hurt yes so for Push him it's buttons, like yeah. I, I didn't like your lobster and, and then you're like and you see that like at yeah. on defoe's face like you didn't like my lot and like he's really like, hurt by that comment yeah oh he's he's in pain yeah yeah, yeah. he's really hurt it's not Absolutely. like he's fucking around he's like he's really hurt and it's like oh did this happen before with his his old you know second in command mm-hmm. didn't like his lobster too and then something happened and like yeah it's like again i'm just thinking about it, make, make me laugh just because like wow it's like just these two and again while you said it looks like they like they had the worst time ever yeah it, because it looks like eggers put like pattinson through the fucking ringer in this film yeah like 
you're going to be carrying all this shit around going, mm-hmm. you know, getting hung by a freaking rope, you know, painting the side of an actual like lighthouse, like a snap. You're going to fall. You're going to mm. fall. And it's going to be, and then you're going to have a bird like pecking at your leg again. <laughs> it's very weird stuff in this film like that. Almost. So like the bird pecking at, at his leg and then like other stuff later on where it almost seems like they're like switching, like, cause like you hear certain things that are said and like, you heard it wrong. I didn't say that. I didn't say right. I was at a, a nun's church. Like, no, like, but we know we heard that. So did he really not hear that? And then like, you know, there's one thing I'm going to bring up later, but it's towards the end of the film, but I, I wanted to like run it by you guys later. But like there's certain things where, you, again, right from the get go, you're, you're, you're getting confused because you're like, did I hear that right? Or maybe, mm. maybe, may, maybe they're playing with me, the, the viewer instead, which again, hearing that Eggers thought the original script was too linear and like, you know, made too much sense. Okay. I guess he threw that in there to kind of like confuse everybody, mm-hmm. even like, especially his own two characters in the film there, you know, the confusion of what's going on. Why is this lighthouse so sacred? This, this basically this penis is so sacred that only one of them is allowed the L you know, the basically the captain of the two gets to go up there and mm-hmm. get naked and just have weird things happen. Yeah. And I mean, get drunk and yeah. Right. Just, abuse himself. Yeah. 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 Like it's like, he's like almost like in pittance, like he's like just torturing himself up there. Mm-hmm. Cause like, cause when you see him up there and he's like toasting to something like mm-hmm. my, to my, my beauty. Yeah. To eat my be- yeah. You're like, is he actually enjoying it? Or is it like this pain that he's going through? And to which I, you know, to go back to our, our conversation before yeah. we started recording about Hellraiser, why yeah. not both? That's true. Um, it's pain and pleasure. Yeah, mm, exactly. Right. It could be both. Well, <clears throat> and James, you had mentioned when you mentioned Prometheus earlier, the the, yeah. the uh, folklore figure, not uh, the film. By uh, the not the film, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, according to Robert Eggers, the two lead characters represent oh, yeah. the figures in Greek mythology. Wake represents Proteus, an old prophetic sea god who is called the old man of the sea. And Winslow yeah. represents Prometheus, a titan and trickster figure who defies the gods, you know, who's Wake's character fire. By, yeah. by stealing fire, uh, you know, as represented by, by the lighthouse. And yeah, it's, I, I do love how this is, and James and I, we've talked about this many times that like, some of the best Lovecraftian movies are not mm-hmm. the ones that are, pull anything from actual source material. I mean, one of our right. last episodes was The Resurrected, which is very faithful to the source material to its detriment as well. Right, right, um, right. But with this one, you have, you know, you do kind of have these the kind of the quintessential Lovecraftian story. I, I mean, this idea of two like real men of the world kind of going into something that they think they know what to expect. They are exposed to something which is larger than themselves in a Lovecraft story oftentimes they're exposed to it and they pass out so they can't tell you what they just saw they can't describe it but they knew it was beyond their logical comprehension this has the same thing where we as a viewer don't see what's at the top of the lighthouse we don't know actually what's going on but we do know that whatever it is these two characters couldn't handle it um and that just sort of that broke them to a certain the way degree. that is filmed too there at the end is so oh, yeah oh god it's first of all this entire film is gorgeous it's one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen in my life yeah you know when they say like you know a film like certain films like every every screenshot's like like a 
beautiful picture. Like that's mm-hmm. this film. Like I was just randomly taking just crazy, those random screenshots. I'm like, it, they all work in some way. Like either it's just funny or crazy or horrific or beautiful, like, or all at once. And like, yeah, some of these shots, like, especially the use of shadows, like when mm-hmm. Pattinson's shadows against the wall, just like bigger than actually he is. And while, you know, certain things like cowering and like, Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Like the framing, but again, considering this film only got one nomination just for cinematography, it's like didn't even get considered for acting. Like, you know what I mean? Like these two guys are like, it's, it's, it's like this lost stage play, you know, like, you know, it's like something you'd see in the theater where it'd be like, wow, this is really like, you know, like um, waiting for Godot. You know, like mm. it has like very, it feels familiar of these two characters that are just trapped and they'll forever be trapped in their own way. It doesn't matter if they die or come back, it's going to be the same, you know, cycle every time that these two, two get on this island. And I love that, you know? See, now you got me wondering who actually did get nominated for the acting awards right. uh, that year. I'm, I'm going to look that up here real quick. Well, was, I mean, because you would think, Probably one would be, you know, they always do one, even though both are co-stars. I just saw saw who who won and I got really depressed. Who who This year, the nominees were Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Okay. Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Oh, no. And the winner. Yes. Oh, I know. Joaquin Phoenix for oh, the Joker. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's what it was. Okay, mm-hmm. I was like thinking, was it was it Joaquin or was it Rami Malek? Okay, it was. I mean, <laughs> they're both equally depressing. Yeah, really. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the Joker and a a franchise character got the win. Right, because because and, yeah. and yeah, because Adam Sandler not even getting a nod. Right? No, no, and, and which is why he's back to doing huh, scoopity doobity do. You yeah. know, like. Mm-hmm. Which so, I mean, they, that's the zone he feels comfortable in. That's the thing right. that he loves to do. He's and he's like, you know, I. That's what people would ask him, like, why you you've got all this success doing these movies with like Paul Thomas Anderson yeah, right. and the softies. Why are you even going back and doing these comedies? Like, I'm a comedian. I like comedy. I like to make right. people laugh. That's that's my thing. Like, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he did so, warn everyone, if I don't get a nomination, he, he did, I'm going yeah. back to doing it. And. But you know what? Hubie Halloween was pretty fun. I'm not a Sandler fan in general, but Hubie Halloween was pretty fun. I've heard that from like a lot of reliable sources. So maybe, yep. maybe one day I'll have to. Uh, Again, it's on Netflix. What's, that. Your, what's yeah. your excuse? Mm-hmm. Well, my girlfriend hates Adam Sandler, like with a passion. So I, I understand. I do. <laughs> I'm so not do an Adam Sandler fan, but um, but so coming from someone who's not much of an Adam Sandler right. fan to hear me say that Hubie Halloween is pretty fun. Take that with as much salt as you need to choke it down. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a friend of the show, Jerry Smith, was a big fan of it. So um, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, for, I mean, for what that for what that's worth, certainly. Um, but yeah, and this is uh, James and I have also talked many times on this podcast about films that seem Lovecraftian. And then like, let's say, you know, um, Benson and Moorhead, for instance, their films may right. seem Lovecraftian. And then you dig into interviews they're like, yeah, we had no idea who this guy was. And it's sort of like, right. oh, OK. Right. Whereas we actually have a case here where Eggers fully admits that he was inspired by Lovecraft when making this. I will link to uh, this article in the show notes from IGN um, in which, yeah, he admits it. He says, uh, you know, he sees it with a nod to the pulp magazine that published H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard as more of a, a weird tale made with tension and dread. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the article goes on to say that like an elder god, 
the lighthouse's bellows or howls or its otherworldly foghorn that oppresses its servants throughout mm -hmm. their entire stay. Even the duties of the servants, specifically Winslow's, all feel like upkeep of an entity incapable of taking care of itself, and yet mm -hmm. the act of maintenance is heralded as worship. At least Tomet views it as such, which is why he loses it when Linslow does a less than perfect job. Right. Um, and so, yeah, just that idea of like in Lovecraft stories, specifically when when the entity Cthulhu involved is involved, there's like a cult who is worshiping this thing that is kind of like, well, it'll at some point this thing will come back, you know, and we're we're doing these weird rituals to kind of pay homage or or ready for its coming. And the lighthouse is sort of that thing of like, yes, this is an entity mm -hmm. that is it has existed before them, it will exist after them, and is clearly not, you know, uncaring of whatever happens to uh, its inhabitants as, as long as its inhabitants um, maintain its upkeep kind of a thing. Um, it, it is a really interesting right. thing. It's like uh, the, the, the lighthouse itself as the entity that kind of helps drive them insane. Because, yeah, that, that just idea, that bellowing, like if you if you heard that all the time, how are you sleeping? How are you maintaining your right. sanity like you know it, it's just like oh yeah it just seems like such a awful environment to be in um and we we've it covered even gets to a point on the soundtrack yeah I'm sorry yeah I, sorry i was just even it even gets to a point on the soundtrack where you almost don't realize it's still happening all right the right time. Mm -hmm. right like you exactly kind of accept that it's going mm -hmm. uh which i think again the sound design on this i think is equally brilliant but yeah i i, I apologize continue no i mean we, no it's we, like it's also it's like yeah, it's like living next to um like a above ground uh, subway, which I used to live next to. That's hard to because like, I have no I lived, context for that. <laughs> no, I lived like three blocks away, which was loud enough, and um I would know people that would live right next. Like I would go to apartments trying to find an apartment at some points in my life, and like one of them was like next to right next to the D train here, and and you know it was in Brooklyn. While I was there for 20 minutes, four trains went by. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, how much are you asking for? Goodbye. I'm not, would never, <laughs> not worth never. it. Never. <laughs> no, because I'm like, that would drive me crazy. Like, well, I mean, noises good, drive me crazy as it is, you know, like any like weird noises. But well, good thing you weren't married to Gwyneth know. Paltrow at the time because that wouldn't have turned well, out yeah, very well. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I used to live I used to live above a bar. Um, its clientele yes. was specifically a bit more conservative uh, than my taste. And for the most part, like, yeah. you know, on yeah. a weeknight, it was there was kind of a din. Um, but on weekends and specifically when there were sporting mm -hmm. events, it was like I, I couldn't concentrate on anything. I couldn't do anything, even with the air conditioning on and stuff. It's just like I heard everything all the right. time. And mm, it's just, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, uh, and you know, what further goes into a, a descent down into not even madness so much as just kind of like, um, instability is like lack of sleep and that kind of stuff. Right. I, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, there, there's so many, there's so many instances and situations in this, on this island where just like, how can anyone survive? And yeah, like you said, past four weeks and it's like, all bets are off, buddy. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure we're we're all on the same page with one thing. Um, there are definitely two people, right? Like this is not Robert Pattinson's imagining another guy. Because I think if that was the case, this would it would kind of severely undercut oh, this movie. I agree. Yeah. No, I no. What I, the thing I wanted to bring up, like I I think there's two people. I don't mm -hmm. think it's just Pattinson on the island. But the confusion is when we see, especially when like. The descent is like it's it's basically tumbling down, and you have 
we see like, you know, Ephraim trying to get away with the lifeboat and then Wake coming out of with an axe and starts chopping at it and he runs. And then mm-hmm. when they're back in the, the, the house, he's saying that Pattinson was the one chopping up the boat. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so right there, even like, you're like, wait a second, what, what are you talking about? And then the thing that furthers that actual truth that actually, like, I didn't see the first time I watched this, but then I saw it a few times after. And even my girlfriend saw it today was when, <laughs> when he's burying wake alive and he's just, he's speaking and like, you know, whatever. And like, so he goes down there, he's supposedly dead now grabs the keys to go, but then he goes back into the house and then out of nowhere, he come, you know, wake is back with the ax and chops mm-hmm. at his shoulder. But when we see, you know, when we see Ephraim, he's dirty. He's filthy. Hmm. Hmm. How did he, and, 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 and if you look carefully, I don't think the foe is filthy. He is. I, I at least I remember him being, but, but not as filthy. But but why? Like because when when you see Pattinson, he's not dirty at all. But he's like filthy, and this is before the blood and stuff. So it's like, hmm. wait, why? And even my girlfriend's like looking like, why? Wait, was he being buried alive? I'm like, actually, I don't know. Like because well, and then what? So in the scene leading up to that, there's almost this role reversal, right? Right. Between exactly. the two of them. You, now, you're, now he's starts- a dog. Yeah. Pattinson starts calling him lad and kicking at yeah, him. And, yeah. And, yeah. And there's the moment where he stands over him um, and yeah. says, now roll over and you're like, yeah. okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. what, you know what just happened. Yeah. And then yeah. leads him out like a dog and what a leash. bury him alive. Yeah. On, on a rope and then begins to bury him alive. And you, you, that's when you do start to question the identity. Who is who, what is going on? How is, right. is, is Pattinson Im, is, is Winslow imitating wake or is this right um or is is something far more mind-boggling happening here um there's there's that lovecraft story where uh and i forget the name of the story all of a sudden where the the guy can just jump into other people's bodies um and like switch places with them am i am i making this up is this is this a story that exists (laughs) It, it, it sounds familiar. It's not ringing a bell to me. Um, it's like he jumps into like the body of his daughter in order to to stay alive, in order to like keep himself going. Hmm. Hang on, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm making stuff up, but because <laughs> it, it, it sounds good to me. Yeah, there so. there are certainly story elements of like you know ancient ancestors who are kind of being reborn through their descendants, but. Um, there, there's, there's not a lot of stories in which Lovecraft wrote a lot of women characters. And so that's honestly, that's the thing that makes me more skeptical. Um, not okay. because of, of, of the theme, but also of just, uh, yeah, didn't really seem to consider women in his stories very often. Having said that, I've not read his entire catalog. So my, my knowledge is by no means comprehensive. Okay. I just, I seem to remember there being a character in in Providence that seemed to be inspired. And that was kind of the idea mm-hmm. is that the character is, um, was a man who had put himself into the, the body of his daughter and then um, switches places with the main character and then rapes the main character. Um, it was, is weird is messed up. It was one of those things like, do I need to keep reading this? Should I stop reading this? <laughs> is this true? Yeah. I, um, I mean, uh, once again, I'm not saying it's not happening, but also his 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 uh his 
stories are so kind of devoid of, of sex of any kind, specifically sexual violence, that it doesn't seem like something he would have. Well, I think that was a more thing, um, yeah. which mm-hmm. seems I mean, that rape yeah. is very much a part of what of Moore's oeuvre. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Um, at, least, at least with the killing joke, he's kind of been like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Yeah. But but yeah. not Lost Girls, though. Lost Girls. Oh, Let's Lost look. Girls. That, that that book is <laughs> weird. <laughs> yes, that is weird. Um, hang on. I'm I'm still going to try to find this. Um, well, when I look up Lovecraft body swap, only thing that comes up is the thing on the doorstep. Yeah, maybe maybe it's that one. Which then. I know there is like the the guy goes into the body that's trapped in the cellar, like he switches places. Yeah, but there yeah, there's no but, but, but there's that's no. That's only thing. Yeah, I don't think there's any. I don't remember it being a female again. Going back into like why this film is Lovecraftian too is yes, there's no women in this film except for the mermaid. <laughs> just it's just two guys just going like so, so apparently the character uh asenath wait derby in that story is the character that i'm thinking of um and she is a female character described as dark smallish and very good looking except for over over protuberant eyes <laughs> and that is I'm trying, yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm um, trying to remember we, we, we've, co- we've covered a few yeah we we have at, done a, we have done a one on the thing on the doorstep yeah right wasn't um, even Cthulhu also based on Thing Under the Doorstep? Peter Cannon writes that Asenath Derby makes the Thing on the Doorstep, quote, the only Lovecraft story with a strong or important female character, mm. although the question is complicated by the tale's gender-swapping situation. Huh. Okay. Oh, yeah, there she is, Asenath White Derby. I don't know why we blocked that out. <laughs> Maybe because I, the film wasn't that good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Possibly. Um, well, and that's 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 something that I had heard about Lovecraft adaptations and Lovecraft inspired stories. Um, kind of going into my love is that most of them are bad. Um, so of course the first one that I saw was probably like in just in terms of things inspired by Lovecraftian ideas was probably the thing, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is of course the greatest horror movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think so. Um, but then you know you start to get into some into some others, and I've I've probably been um, blessed in that I've only revisited the 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 good ones the classics mm-hmm. um but like um reanimator is fantastic mm-hmm. um the um in the mouth of madness maybe my second favorite carpenter movie mm-hmm. um so i mean you know i've 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 visited a few of the the quote-unquote good ones but I, I understand that there's a lot out there that's not that great yeah it's it's the 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 perpetual problem with someone who's uh work is one in the public domain and two uh um whose work is also hints at things that are not great to visually depict mm-hmm. um the the thing of um I, I mean and his his stuff being in the public domain one means that anyone who has any sort of of budget or idea can be like i'm going to take this i'm going to make a movie out of it and then you get something like um you know uh chill which I think that was one. Was it chill or cold air, James? One of them. One of them was terrible. One of them was we appreciated, but both were very low budget. Yeah, um, I think. I think. I'm trying to remember. If it was. It was the one by. Um, yeah, I can't remember which which one was which. Which one was bad? I, I would know just by the picture. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah that one's the bad one. <laughs> um, so so that that happens a lot, but then it's also um, a lot of his films 
or, or a lot of his stories, I should say, do deal with um, themes of existential and cosmic insignificance. How do you visually depict that without right. In, right. without blatantly internalizing someone's inner monologue of like, this is what I believed and this is now the case? And so many of, of his monsters, I mean, yes, he does kind of describe Cthulhu to a certain extent, but then you have something like the Dunwich Horror, which the monster is invisible the entire time. Right. Um, and when their characters, when his characters take in this thing, it's so incomprehensible that either go mad or they pass out or they kill themselves or they're about to kill themselves before writing down like, hey, this is what happened. I'm jumping out a window right. now. Bye. Right. So um, so horror kind of needs to be a visceral experience, at least when it comes to horror filmmaking. So it's kind of like James and I have joked, like just people throw tentacles in it because they need something which is going to be visually scary, except the thing is is that thing that you're depicting going to be scarier than either one, what you can imagine or two, what you can't imagine. And how do you depict something you can't imagine? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. that's the challenge. So you have like, uh, you know, one of our, one of my most controversial takes is I don't like reanimator that much as an adaptation, um, which makes sense. Yeah. And, and also, and, and just, yeah, this idea of like filmmakers will kind of, um, the equivalency I make is sort of like, I don't dislike the French new wave. I dislike a lot of the fans of the French new wave. Um, and so with Lovecraft it's the same thing. I don't dislike his, in fact, I love his stories, but I don't like a lot of the things that people have done with it because mm -hmm. it's sort of like, well, let's kick up the viscera and the gore when that was right. never what made his stories effective. It was never no, the blood no. and the guts and people like, yes, were people torn from limb to limb often. Was that the focus? Like, no, it wasn't so much of like, oh my yeah. God, look at all the blood. It was more, what could have done this thing to this person? Well, right. that you need to have a good grasp of tone to be able to handle something like that. And that's something that for whatever reason, most filmmakers working today don't seem to really want to invest their time in. Mm -hmm. What what gets butts in seats? Really cool visuals. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of the more disturbing movies that I've ever seen are things where the visuals are, a part and parcel of the thing like the visuals in this are stunning but it's almost entirely done in camera like there are no right. real with the exception of the tentacles and the mermaid there are no creature effects in this movie mm -hmm. and those are right. those, those effects are i would argue probably mostly practical mostly um which is kind of awesome but you don't have like everything in it is about just how slightly off center and mm -hmm. how that makes you feel so again it's how you manage the tone a movie like the wicker man is deeply upsetting oh yeah um and there's like no creature effects in that one at all no, and i think exactly. if you know and you can you can do a lovecraft story like that probably should do a lovecraft story like that but i love the way that this film ends then that, as you mentioned before it's not that we see what's in the lighthouse it's we see how he reacts yes. to yes. what's in the yeah. lighthouse and that is what is so terrifying what is it that a man can see that can drive him to this level of madness so instantly like he's already gone crazy mm. but he gets shoved immediately like it's like getting pushed over a cliff like yeah. he goes from like 50 to 2000 in the span of just a moment mm -hmm. and like that's that and that's what's truly terrifying about this ending is him like with the light blaring onto his face, just screaming and convulsing and shaking. And the sound kind of distorts his voice to where mm -hmm. it's this kind of almost eldritch scream rising up from within him. Mm -hmm. Like it, yeah. and all of that just compounded on itself 
the, and the fact that you've gone on this journey with these characters to this point and you're just like this is this is next level insane i don't i don't even know what i'm watching anymore yeah and <laughs> and, and the, you you in order to show in order to have a payoff be effective where you don't see anything as you said you need to have a good command over the tone and over the characters and eggers does and the action uh, the actors are phenomenal and yeah. even the sequence we just talked about it was like wait i thought he was the one getting buried or i thought he was it also like if we're seeing this through the lens of this character which is going insane right of course it probably doesn't make sense to him and it's not supposed to make sense to us because we're supposed to be seeing things through his perspective mm-hmm. so is it oh was he the only person there on the island the whole time no it's more of like i i thought i was following what was happening and i have no idea now Right. Um, because exactly. he was also like, I thought I was following what was happening. I have no idea now. Um, now you know what it feels like to be a Lovecraft protagonist. Congratulations. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I love that. Like, I, I, I love this movie. I love the fact that it's a, a guy who truly understands what it means to have a film which is Lovecraftian. And yes, mm-hmm. are there tentacles involved in it? Yes, but that's that just kind of like hints towards something instead. Um, yeah. I think that's in service of proteus more so than right. in service of this like lovecrafty and it's got to have tentacles thing yeah i i did say that at the beginning as a joke i just want to make no no of course clear. um oh, no, no. <laughs> i mean the tentacles are a part of it but yeah well and, and i mean you also mentioned in the mouth of madness that that's why it's a wonderful ending that sam neil's character has basically been like okay i know that i have no agency i am not in control of my own fate and i am and there is something which is way beyond me and his response to the end is to just laugh because it's yeah. like you have laughing like, and cry. Yeah, it's either it's yeah. either that or you 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 kill yourself. But he's he's laughing instead. That's his. That's how he embraces the insanity. He surrenders to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, it's such a good movie. And if anyone if so anyone good. is a fan of the the blank check podcast, they've been going through Carpenter's um, yes. filmography, and so their their episode on, on in the mouth of madness is is. I mean, that all was a episodes, great episode. Yeah, all yeah. Episodes have been very, I, I just <laughs> watched the listen to the village of the damn one, a movie I've never seen. Um, it's not great. <laughs> no, 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 not one of his best. <laughs> yeah. and well, and based on their their uh, their analysis of it, I, I did all the Carpenter a couple of years ago, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's got it's it's got yeah, its moments. Yeah. It's not, I mean, but it's it their their analysis is pretty spot on. It's it's not when you if you haven't seen it and you want to be a Carpenter completist, do. If you don't care about being a Carpenter completist, you can skip it. That's fine. Yeah, I, I don't. I, but what I found most fascinating about their discussion was more of the analysis of Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeves, like career and his image of himself which is very fascinating because i know chris Reeves from nothing other than superman so it, right. that was that was interesting but um yeah anyone any any guys have any any uh final thoughts on the lighthouse on lovecraft on uh anything really so i had a thought and i don't know and this is literally this is a half formed idea in my brain mm-hmm. so it's probably not going to come out very well so i'm just going to brace you and you can cut all this out if you want i don't really care um <laughs> But I, I had a notion that maybe there's there maybe there is something cyclical to this to this thing that yeah. maybe maybe Defoe had been in Pattinson's shoes before, um, and that the the person that he had killed before wasn't his second. Maybe it was mm. his his commander. May or and and maybe this whole thing just is cyclical. Maybe it just all this has happened before and will happen again. And maybe that's why we see this role reversal at the end that Pattinson is now taking on his new role as the Defoe guy. Um, but then he also is getting his guts picked out at the end. So right, right. <laughs> well, but also 
that lighthouse is going to be manned again in the future. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 once again, getting back to this idea of an inescapable fate, like what it what is terrifying about this idea of something cyclical is like it has been and it will continue to be. Right. And mm-hmm. that's terrifying. I, I remember, uh, yeah, John August, uh, the screenwriter, had said that you know the the place to end a screenplay is either at its logical conclusion or at a point where if you would continue to move forward, the story would just repeat. Yeah. And that's sort of and, and that is, I think you can interpret this as kind of both. Both both mm. both is happening at the same time. We're just seeing one right. cycle here, but yeah, I think you can believe this has happened. This will happen. And oh man, why would anyone be a lighthouse keeper? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It know. seems miserable in every sense of the word. It certainly <laughs> does. Um, but Stephen, thank you for joining us on this discussion. Um, if uh, thanks if people, for having me. Yeah, if people do want to check out Disenfranchised Pod, and I highly recommend that they do, um, maybe avoid the episode on. Uh, National Lampoon's Little Weapon 1. There's some real jerk who is the guest. I was actually <laughs> going to recommend that episode. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Jim, you were you were so kind to come and join us uh, to talk about National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1, a movie near and dear to your heart, a movie I had never seen in its entirety. Uh, and we had, a, we had a really good, very tangent-heavy, very punchy conversation, as nice. I recall, um, which I think served the movie and the, and the conversation very well. <laughs> it was, it was a fun episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very fun episode. Uh, definitely check that out. You can find us on um, most social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Letterboxd, Facebook, Instagram, at DisenfranchPod. Um, you can find me, Stephen Foxworthy, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Uh, I'm mostly tweeting inane things and retweeting other inane things. So if you like inanity, I'm your guy. Um <laughs> And uh, we also have a Patreon now, um, which is uh, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Uh, right now, we're doing uh, two uh, top five lists a month called uh, on our spinoff podcast called Disenfranchised. <laughs> um, so we do uh, two monthly top five lists. Uh, November, we're doing, uh, we've already done our top five comic book super teams. Uh, uh, we did that ahead of the release of The Eternals. And then uh, coming up on Thanksgiving, we've got our, uh, top five Thanksgiving dishes, uh, side or just like you know, dishes, meals, entrees, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, we've got that one uh, in in the works as well. And then we've done for Halloween, we did a commentary track for Train to Busan, which is available for our five dollar level patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got another one coming up, I think, for Adam's Family Values for Thanksgiving. Nice. Um, nice. So we've got we've got, and of course, if you listen to our main feed, you can also listen to our. Our, our own slow descent into madness as we discuss uh, the movie food fight um, <laughs> and all that that movie entails, man, we just, we just both get so defeated over the course of that episode <laughs> where by the end, we're just like, I don't know, man, don't watch this movie. Be thankful. You don't, if you're thankful for anything, this Thanksgiving, be thankful. You don't have to watch this. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our own, our own slow descent into madness, but um, but yeah, check us out. We we think we're a lot of fun. Uh, maybe you will too. Question mark. And we do we we don't do exclusively horror films, but we have uh, Brett is a big horror fan, so there's a lot of horror in our back catalog as well. So mm-hmm. if you're a horror fan, there's something for you. If you're not a horror fan, there's something there for you as well. I am a turkey. Eat me. <laughs> Such. I mean, any anytime you can get just a giant musical number about about where someone just says "Eat me" over and over again. <laughs> gold sure gold <laughs> that's a good that i haven't watched that movie in a long time i need i think i need to do that again um 
But yeah, uh, so yes, we are, and we are uh, the cast of Cthulhu. Obviously, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is uh, Fistful of Media. We are both um, uh, Cast Cthulhu on Twitter, and we are Cthulhu Cast on Facebook. And yes, you can sign up for our Patreon if you just go to uh, patreon.com slash um, Cast Cthulhu. Uh, once again, we have three tiers, um, but uh, even the minimal one gets you um, additional episodes that everyone that is currently listening to us on the free feed do not get as well as um, Patreon shoutouts. And yeah, um, we kind of kind of just want people to give us an excuse to do more commentary tracks. That was a lot of yeah. fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, um, just we had a imag- good time with ours too. Yeah. James, just imagine a commentary track for, I don't know, Beyond Reanimator. Uh, yeah, I could <laughs> I could just randomly sing for three minutes, reanimate your feet, you know. Um, <laughs> that fucking terrible German techno song. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, 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 I would love to like either do films we love or films we do not love at all mm-hmm. i think both work in different ways like like you know you start to riff the ones you don't like but the ones you do like you start to like you want to talk about the good in it mm-hmm. and then you know like yeah. like I, I told you like time bandits would be one i'd want to do time bandits that's good yeah that's like near and dear to my heart but yeah I, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't seen Halloween Four since that, or, mm-hmm. you know, for a while since doing that. So as we were going along, I was like, man, I really like this movie. And yeah, the the I'll yeah. be honest, the initial plan was we were going to have uh, Jerry join us, yeah. and we were going to do it at night so that James and I could slowly descend into drunkenness, and Jerry would right. get high while doing it. But <laughs> because we had to do it in the morning, it was just James yeah, and no. I just being stone cold sober. Yeah, uh-huh. no, I was like, I was like, which is you know the way you want to watch Halloween for, right? Well, you know, I mean, it, it ended like I hadn't seen it for a while either, and I was like, oh yeah, this is much more enjoyable than I remembered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but yeah, no, I was like thinking, like, should I bring out a beer at nine in the morning? No, I'm not gonna yeah. do that. But I mean, in my darker times, I've done it before. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I work overnight, so nine o'clock in the morning is like my seven o'clock at night. Oh, touche. So, so technically, it wouldn't be weird, but. I think it'd be weird if just me getting drunk while Jim was stone cold sober. It'd be weird, that would yeah. be a little weird. Yeah. 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 Um, a little awkward, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you, Stephen, for um, joining oh, us. Um, oh, my pleasure. Thanks everyone too, for listening. Um, we are back, uh, but also in the sense of we, we don't have a real solid well, plan for our next episode. Um, we, we have a few listed like, like that we've talked about, like random stuff. So we'll, We'll come up with something. Yeah, but if, if nothing else, we finally, after three long years, got Stephen on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So be sure to stay tuned to our social media channels and everything. We're uh, and to stay tuned what we will be doing for next time. But in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 